There are multiple ways to keep in touch with the Wolf Connection podcast. Through our Instagram handle, the Wolf Connection Pod, and for comments and questions, send us an email to podcast at wolfconnection.org with your comments, questions, and guest ideas for Stephen and myself. You may hear your question answered on an upcoming podcast. Thank you for your support and howls to you all. Welcome to the Wolf Connection Podcast. I'm your host, John Calvin. Let's talk about some more. All right, a little bit on the earlier side, at least for Stephen and myself, but uh, it's the mid-afternoon uh, from our next guest. He comes to us from Ipswich, Massachusetts. He is the Facility and Program Director of Wolf Hollow. He is Z Safran. Z, pleasure to meet you, sir. Uh, thank you for reaching out. I know it was uh, Viana who reached out to the podcast, to Stephen and I, and I wanted to get you guys on. So how are you doing over there in uh, Massachusetts? How's everything going? Uh, it's going great. It's actually, um, I am a uh, school teacher as well. So I have today off and luckily um, we actually got our first snow of the year, really of any um, real accumulation. So uh, the wolves are loving it. They're romping and playing outside. So I uh, had a snowball fight with my son. So it's been a great day. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. awesome, man. That's the way to do it. And you've been there since the inception of the organization, which has now been around for 32 years, 10 years as the facility and program director, just I mean, and you're a school teacher, which is awesome. So how did you get involved in this organization? Because I, I you know, I looked at the website, I look at the, the beautiful wolves that you guys have and that you, you take care of. Where did this, how did this winding road get you to this wonderful place? Yeah, it's um, uh, really a great question to start with. Uh, and I feel like I have a pretty unique story. Um, unlike most people, I think that... Um, working with wolves came to me instead of me, you know, seeking it out. Uh, that is largely due to the fact that my dad was the founder. I was uh, 14 when we for, uh, got our first wolves in 1990 and it opened to the public. Uh, so to make your freshman year of high school more awkward, let's get wolves. <laughs> uh, but uh, so it's been an uh, amazing 32-year experience um, and just um, it's, you know, almost get recognized, you know, um, you know, the property, what we do uh, from our start. So it's been a uh, it's been wonderful to watch that, you know, over this time. What's that like as a a teenager, as you said, as we all know, teenage years can be awkward. They can be really sort of finding yourself, finding your niche, what what that's all about, especially in high school. What was the the calling for your dad to start the organization and and for you then to sort of jump in and be almost his right-hand man when everything gets going? So um, I had a... Uh, very unique uh, entrance into working with wolves as uh, I didn't necessarily seek it out. Uh, it was, you know, kind of um, thrown upon me as my dad was the founder. Uh, mm. So again, to make your um, freshman year of high school even more awkward, you know, let's get some wolves. <laughs> so, uh, But uh, the inspiration, you could say, goes all the way back to the 1950s when my dad was, you know, um, 10, 11. Um, he was born into a very Greek family, uh, and he was the second son, so everything was about his brother. Uh, so we think he felt misunderstood, underappreciated, uh, and, um, you know, spent uh, as much time as he could in nature. Uh, Ipswich is on the coast. We have beautiful beaches, uh, state parks, lots of open space. So I think that's where he found his self-worth and uh, found peace, uh, you know, uh, uh, for himself. Uh, also, in those days, I've uh, met some old timers in town that would say uh, that tell me that uh, back in the 1950s, they'd be throwing popcorn at him at the John Wayne movies because he'd cheer for the natives and not the cowboys. So, again, <laughs> not a popular uh, thing to do with at that time. Um, but long story short, you know, by the late 70s, my dad uh, had read everything he could about wolves, you know, David Meech, uh, et cetera. Um, yeah. And then, um, unfortunately, he was hit by a drunk driver in, uh, I think it was 1983. Um, you know, while uh, he was severely injured, multiple surgeries, um, and, uh, et cetera, uh, luckily, uh, financially, we weren't uh, in a dire position because my family had owned a shellfish company uh, since the wow. 1940s. So uh, my uncle was involved. Uh, my cousin was involved. So uh, that was, you know, not in a bad spot. Uh, but obviously, you know, a near-death experience caused him a lot of reflection. It completely changed our dynamic, you know, father and son. I was probably only about six or seven, if that. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think uh, through that reflection, he said, what am I going to do with my life? And I think that, um, you know, saw himself in the wolf as underappreciated, you know, misunderstood. 
uh, also during that time through his recovery, uh, through both, you know, physical and, you know, mental recovery, he started taking some painting classes at a local art school. And when he got, got a chance to paint what he wanted, it was always wolves. So that's when uh, he started getting pushback. Why would you paint wolves? They're awful. They're vicious. They're nasty. Wow. Uh, so then this was really the first time, you know, being outside of his own personal bubble that he realized that that was very much still the uh, stigma of wolves. So uh, knowing there would eventually be a settlement from the accident, uh, he started doing the homework, uh, writing to the federal government, uh, writing to other wolf facilities. Uh, he actually went out to Wolf Park in uh, Battleground, Indiana, and spent, I think, about two or three weeks out there with Dr. Klinghammer uh, to see really what was involved with uh, starting Wolf Sanctuary. And then uh, we got our nonprofit status uh, in 1988 and opened with our first wolves in 1990. So. So how did the name come about? How did he come up with the name? Actually, that's a, I love that question. I don't get asked that very often. Um, I remember sitting at the dining room table with my dad when we knew it was a go. And, uh, you know, he had, you know, been talking to, you know, um, other nature people, people involved with wildlife, et cetera. And it was time to play the name game. Uh, so we were, you know, at the dining room table one night and, you know, so far the, you know, the only thing we had from, it was someone else's idea was Wolfland and it was a hard no for me, <laughs> even at 14. Uh, so we're 13. So, uh, and just, uh, the back of the property where the main wolf enclosure is, uh, is kind of a natural, uh, stream fed pond. It's kind of like a little, you know, um, you know, um, low space, whatnot. So, uh, so, uh, kind of a hollow. So we came up with Wolf Hollow and, you know, had a nice ring to it. And that was, uh, that was about it. We didn't really consider anything else after that. So it's such an org kind of a reflection of the property itself. Yeah. And that's beautiful that you guys do that. And it's, it's such a wild story that it's amazing that the people that we talk to and, and how they get involved and how it all really comes about that, the, that you either, you know, get to work with wolves that you photograph wolves that you are rescuing wolves in your guys case. What, what was that first rescue like for you guys? Because you get your status, you open up, and then you get your first rescue. Is there something that sticks in your mind about those first two wolves that came through your door and the learning experiences that you guys had? Yeah, um, and yeah, but, um, before I even answer that, I wouldn't, I don't necessarily, or I shy away from calling ourselves a rescue, mm -hmm. as that implies we're taking injured wolves and rehabbing them, mm -hmm. or um, again, wolves mm -hmm. that are, you know, predominantly in shelters, or uh, when we do uh, get wolves, uh, they are from other uh, licensed, federally licensed sanctuaries, zoos, etc. Mm -hmm. So I just, uh, I don't know, some people have, you know, uh, are picky about that delineation. Sure. So, That's fine, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm comfortable with uh, rescue sanctuary or anything, but just for, you know, um, I guess uh, full disclosure. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, to answer your question, when we um, got our first wolves, uh, I had always, I had grown up with a German Shepherd. Um, you know, she was my best friend, you know, from the time we got her when I was five till, you know, when she passed. Um, so um, it really wasn't that weird for me, um, as you'd think. It was definitely weird. <laughs> but um, I, knowing who my dad was, kind of watching the uh, work he put into it, you know, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours of writing letters, you know, this is before email at the dining room table. Um, so um, it was, it felt natural. It felt right. You know, um, you know, if I had to um, put into just a couple words, so I was, I was excited. Uh, I, you know, never was afraid of dogs in general, very comfortable with dogs. Um, I had already been out to Wolf Park by this point uh, for their uh, week-long seminar and had worked uh, hands-on with the wolves there. So I felt very prepared and uh, very curious and um, yeah, all that. <laughs> so when, as the evolution happens for you, so what's, what's your trajectory at this point? Cause you, you told everybody initially, so you're, you're also a teacher. So what's the, you're helping your dad in the, in the beginning stages of this as you're a teenager, what's the path? Do we go, do you, are you off to college? You get your teaching degree, come back. How does, how are you balancing this for yourself in these early years um, until you really become the facility and program director you know, about 20 or so years in. Yeah. Um, so my early, you know, my earliest interactions were mostly uh, just chores, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, getting food ready, helping prep, um, you know, food, uh, you know, filling water buckets, um, property maintenance, et cetera. Um, you know, at that age, I was going in with the wolves, you know, on a regular basis at 14, uh, you know, with my dad by my side. Uh, and again, you know, um, you know, learned so much at Wolf Park that, you know, I could probably tell but some of it some of it's really just in you that you know your reaction your instincts that you know um you learn there um so 
Uh, so yeah, in those days it was pretty much, you know, uh, that if, you know, if the wolves were howling and my dad didn't like the type of howl, you know, he'd send me out with a flashlight and make sure what was <laughs> everything was okay. Uh, and that's really, you know, a real wonderful thing is there's someone here 24 seven, um, you know, on property with them. And, you know, so, uh, we can, I can look out my back windows and watch the whole enclosure. So it's pretty, pretty, uh, makes me feel safe for them. Um, and then um, again, after high school, I went to a, I actually coincidentally went to the same art college that you could say somewhat inspired the creation of Wolf Hollow. I got my um, bachelor's degree in illustration. And then uh, after college, I found a tattoo apprenticeship, actually, and then uh, uh, headed in that direction for a few years. And, you know, even in college, while I wasn't maybe getting made fun of or picked on, you know, like I was in high school for, you know, having wolves. Uh, it was still very much, uh, that's the kid whose parents have the wolves. So again, it was, uh, you know, still trying to find myself. And I think, you know, tattooing in the city is about as far away as you could get from, you know, working with wolves in Ipswich. I still lived on property. I still helped out. But, you know, I was trying to, you know, find my own path. Um, and at this point, uh, my father was uh, well into Alzheimer's. And it was really uh, my mother and um, one of our early volunteers, Christina, doing, uh, you know, pretty much everything. So, um it was after my dad passed in 2001 uh, that I started seeing the outpouring of um, letters, uh, condolences, uh, you know, in addition to, you know, we're sorry for your loss, but, you know, what an amazing thing he created um, and just, you know, really started seeing the impact that uh, Wolf Hollow was having on people. Uh, it's hard to have that perspective when you live with them 24 seven. Uh, so I, you know, I started, you know, thinking and I'm, you know, 24 at this point, you know, we have something really magical and really special here. And, uh, you know, a lot of people thought we'll follow to end with my father's passing, um, you know, uh, for the you know first few years after that, it was pretty much, you know, 90% my mom and Christina and the volunteers. Uh, and then finally, I lost my taste for tattooing and then uh, ended up um, finding a middle school teaching job, which is perfect. You know, I, you know, the schedule works really well with doing this, you know, I'm uh, on property all weekend for the most part working with the wolves. I, you know, see them before I leave for work when I come home. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, and uh, it was really teaching that, you know, um, really helped me grow as a presenter, you know, up until that point, it was just, you know, doing, you know, the labor, the chores, you know, um, helping vaccinate wolves, et cetera. So, and then uh, really um, just working with kids, having those conversations, I, you know, absolutely love what I do both, you know, at Wolf Hollow and also in the middle school classroom. So I feel really lucky. So you were 14 when you started I mean, I find that when I look back at this, at, at things I did when I was 14 that I still do now, the experience is so different, especially emotionally, like what, what you're able to tap into emotionally. I mean, I remember like the experiences of listening to music, for example, when I was 14 versus now I was having, I mean, out of body experiences, listening to music, just walking by myself with headphones on. And now it's still as meaningful to me now since I do it for a living, but it's, it's totally different. So I'm just wondering, can you tap into how your relationship with wolves was distinctly different when you were 14 versus now being an adult? And I don't mean necessarily because you had, you know, decades or more of experience. I just mean emotionally, energetically. Do you, do you, can, you, can you distinguish, is there a fundamental difference in your relationship then and now, um, just the feeling of it? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, it's hard to look back, you know, 30 years, where was I at? Where was my head at? Um, I know. Yeah, it is. So, but I think it was, I always had an incredible amount of respect for them, number one. Uh, you know, I f knew full well what they were, what they're capable of, and uh, the risks, you know, being involved. So I wouldn't say I was ever nervous or afraid, um, because you can't be when you're working with them. You know, you have to be 100% on, 100% comfortable. Um, but just really, uh, I think the thing that it's changed about me is just, you know, like, you know, um, just the maturity, you know, especially going from like, you know, especially I would say, you know, 19 to 25, especially for, for men. Uh, and I think the wolves really made me in a lot of ways who I am as a person today. And this was also going on. This was the same year as that, you know, I was watching my father, you know, lapse further into Alzheimer's. So um, they were kind of almost like a parental figure for me. Uh, Weeble, especially, uh, he was a wolf that uh, we had from 2001 till 2013. And uh, he definitely uh, taught me a lot, um, you know, in place of my father about wolves, but also about, you know, um, respect, you know, patience, humility. So, uh, so I just, um, I wouldn't say that I didn't have respect before, but just, um, you know, as a kid, uh, but, you know, now it's just, uh, there's, there's just something about these animals. And even after 32 years, every time I walk through that door, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, I have to remind myself that, you know, this is, this is my real life. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
How about the way they reacted to you? Do, do you remember differences? I mean, 14 to now is a big is a big difference, especially in you, like I was saying, but do you, did they react to you differently? Was there more playful energy? I'm just curious how that span of time changes. Yeah, so um, I think that their relationship changes more on kind of their growth and development, you know, when they're, you know, when they're pops all the way up until I'd say about two and a half, three, you know, even though they're full grown, they're still very much juveniles. So at that point, they still want to climb all over you. They want to, you know, you know, steal from you, you know, uh, tug at your yep. bootlaces. You know, as they get older, they get a little more aloof. Uh, we like to refer that the older wolves kind of see us as hotel art or restaurant art. Yeah, you're kind of there. <laughs> you know, they'll still come up. They love their belly rubs at any age. Uh, but, you know, it's just like, you know, just like humans, you know, kids are more energetic, more in your face than, you know, most adults. I mean, give people to just to just to lay the land because you, you spoke about you know, looking at your back window and you, you know, you're on the property and things like that. What's, what <laughs> is the, what's the atmosphere and what's the, the physical geography of really what, where you're, you're situated and, and, and the way that it's set up uh, for you guys to be able to, to do what you do, just give everybody just kind of an outline, you know, an outline of what, what it's all, you know, what it looks like. Of the landscape, landscape, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, we are, so I mean, um, well, you know, zooming out a little bit, uh, Ipswich is a coastal town about 30, 35 miles north of Boston. We're kind of nestled in between um, Salem, Mass, and Newburyport, Mass, if anyone knows the geography. Uh, and then, you know, Ipswich is uh, very much known for its open space, farmland, you know, a lot of uh, horse, uh, horse folks around here. Uh, so it's pretty picturesque. Um, our property actually sits on a, um, a pretty busy road. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, just, um, one lane each way, but it is a state, um, state, uh, highway, I guess, technically. Uh, and then we have about five acres. We are on the smaller side and then, uh, pretty much the uh, front of the property is where our visitors enter. Uh, we just, um, put up about five years ago, which is a great step for us. And then, um, basically, uh, we have a little gathering area, picnic tables, et cetera, our gathering area, we have informational boards, um, activity table uh, featuring, you know, different canine skulls, some literature, and then uh, just a nice, you know, play, make a nice greeting, welcoming atmosphere. Um, I did, I was in the hospitality um, industry, working in restaurants uh, throughout college and uh, even past. And I know how much that first impression is. And, you know, really over the years and now, especially with, um, you know, the ease to do online reviews, you know, really want to make sure that we're giving a good impression and treating our visitors well. Um, so, and that's actually one of the things, um, you know, I always joke that when I want more anxiety in my life, I go online and look at our reviews. Uh, but it's, I'm so proud that, you know, pretty much the three consistents are the wolves are amazing, well, well cared for. Uh, the staff is really passionate and friendly and um, it's a great family experience educationally. So, so it's, um, you know, those are, those are probably the three, you know, things that I want to, you know, make sure we're always hitting, which it seems like we're doing. Um, as far as when folks get here, uh, we did um, recently through COVID move to a, a reservation only system. And that's actually been really nice for our visitors as well as our staff. We uh, know what to expect uh, before COVID. Um, we were having uh, too many people try and come. So attendance was an issue, at least as far as accommodating all the folks. Uh, so, you know, the reservations have worked out great um, in addition for just, you know, throughout COVID. But now if folks are driving two hours away, they know where they're going to get, you know, get to see a wolf. Yeah, I saw a lot of, you know, a lot of tears and sad kids, you know, so and we always try and accommodate, you know, try and squeeze a couple more and if they've come a long way. Um, but the, uh, the tours themselves, we have um, two uh, main types of uh, experiences. Um, the, um, what we started doing before COVID, but really got us through COVID was uh, private tours. So one person will book, uh, you know, the, that time slot and, you know, bring up to a certain amount of uh, visitors with them. Um, and that seems to um, really be uh, popular since we started it. Those usually sell out first. I think people really like that personal atmosphere, that personal experience. Um, you know, I would, I, my, myself included, I think a lot of folks are more willing to ask, you know, questions in a smaller group in front of a larger group. So, and uh, it's actually been great for our kids, a little more movement based. As our wolves, uh, we have uh, four spaces that do have wolves. Uh, so it's, you know, the kids aren't sitting on the uh, bleachers for an hour being lectured at essentially. So that's been a really nice thing for them as well. Um, our traditional uh, program uh, that uh, we again did for our first, you know, 30, uh, 30 years exclusively, the tours again being a new thing. Um, it was uh, what we call our presentation and that consists of visitors um, sitting on um, bleachers, uh, wooden bleachers, you know, pretty nice. And then um, our, you know, uh, presenters in with the wolves as well as with senior volunteer staff. Uh, we usually cover um, many aspects of wolf um, life behavior issues. 
But the four things that we're um, consistently uh, talking about are family structures, environmental benefits, conservation and conflict, uh, forms of communication, and then we sprinkle some uh, dog and coyote connections in there as well. Uh, really the main goal and uh, is that, you know, people will leave here knowing more about wolves, um, you know, and um, I can't repeat what my dad's words would have been. <laughs> so, so uh, but, uh, you know, he was, um, you know, and this might have been part of the Alzheimer's coming on and we didn't know it, but uh, there was a point where if you weren't here for the beginning of the lecture, he would close the gate <laughs> and you couldn't come. Mm. So that's how important the educational uh, aspect was to him. Yeah. Uh, he was pretty hard line about that. And um, and that's something that I've has been, you know, incredibly important for me to maintain. You know, as, as it is my father's legacy, uh, it has our name on it, uh, the morals and ethics of working with animals. You have to be, you know, spot on on all on all bases. And, uh, you know, again, just that integrity, you know, having our family name behind it, but also, um, you know, again, the um, how how rare it is that we get to do this. So we try and make sure that, you know, it's you know always an educational experience. Uh, people are, you know, ultimately creating new advocates. That's, you know, that's also uh, one of our main goals. And I, I like to think that, you know, seeing wolves close, um, seeing seeing us safely work with them, um, you know, and it's not a circus show. We're not doing tricks. The closest thing we do for a trick is we can uh, instigate a scent roll with, you know, essential oils, uh, et cetera. Um, and that, you know, we use that to talk about why they why are dogs rolling things, why are wolves rolling things. So, um, again, so we, you know, we take the work very seriously and, you know, um, and uh, yeah, hopefully um, yeah, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great. Sorry. And again, it's again, you can. Keep keep talking as much as you want. That's the whole point is to get to yeah, know yeah. everything that you guys do. I, I want to ask, what's it like in Massachusetts, at least from your perspective, in the way that people see wolves and understand their role, I guess, in the, in the ecosystem and, and how they're perceived? I know that, as you said, the education is a very big point for you, big point for, for you all there at Wolf Hollow. And we experienced this too at Wolf Connection. We really want people to understand the whole scope about wolves and and try to dispel any myths or things that, that they may have learned or seen in books or fairy tales and, and movies and such like that. What's the general perspective that you see with the visitors that come to Wolf Hollow? What are they trying to get out of it? What are the things that maybe they bring in that you're trying to you know, again, we're not trying to change. My, well, I mean, some people are trying to change minds, but what's the the most of the the idea that people have of wolves when they come here? Yeah, that's um, that's been something that's been really cool to see. Um, you know, uh, change over the last thirty years. Uh, when we first started, we would start every um, lecture with uh, you know asking the visitors to raise a raise a show of hands of who thought wolves were a danger to people. You know, and in 1990, it was 90% of our visitors. And, you know, we stopped asking that question 10 years ago because no one really wow. raised their hand anymore. Uh, so, and that's, you know, again, there's so much more information, um, you know, um, you know, people just know so much more and uh, really uh, demystified them, uh, which is great. Um, so that's been a great thing is to see that, you know, the public's perception um, do almost a 180, uh, again, uh, in favor of wolves, realizing their uh, environmental benefits, et cetera. Uh, so that's been a great thing. Uh, also, uh, I got to say that kids are a lot smarter than my generation. <laughs> you know, again, 15 years ago, I'd get a lot of what would win in a fight, a wolf or a monkey. <laughs> you know, um, And then today or, you know, these days, I should say, uh, you know, we had we had an eight year old girl, you know, within the last couple months, you know, uh, she raised her hand and she says, yes, she asked the presenter, wait, I want to go back to uh, biomes or trophic cascades or just busting out these like amazing vocab words. So that's really awesome to see, um, you know, to see, uh, you know, kids knowing so much more. And and with that, with that knowledge i totally believe that that brings passion as well you know i see it with my um my students i'm the art teacher and so many kids walk in my door afraid of art in sixth grade and my first few lessons are designed to show them that you can do this so and um so it's uh, just some uh you know it makes me very hopeful you know seeing um seeing where kids are at and i think a lot of times we give uh, the younger generation a bad rap <laughs> so uh and then also it's um Really, I just think the overall curiosity from families um, has changed in a way, too. I think, and from my perspective, at least, I think when a lot of people, you know, first came, it was more of a almost a feel, fearful curiosity. Uh, today, it seems like a lot of families have done their homework a little bit. You know, um, it seems like the parents have prepped their kids or they've you know gone on the website and they know the names of the wolves. So it's really nice to see that, you know, education or that um, education, but also engagement, you know, even before they get here. 
So you mentioned trophic cascades and some other wild wolf related concepts. I mean, how much of your educational approach do you think is is dedicated to wolves in the wild? Yeah, I would say um, for, you know, using my, you know, our, you know, give or take by a few minutes long lecture, um, you know, cut out probably 15 minutes of that is questions. I take breaks throughout just to, you know, so people aren't just being talked at for a straight hour. Uh, keeps the kids engaged as well. But I would say of the actual time I spend lecturing, I would say um, 50 to probably 65% is about wolves in the wild, um, whether it's environmental benefits, uh, family structures, communication, um conflict as well you know um as wild wolves you know are you know we have the ranching issue so that that, that does involve wild wolves too um so i would say yeah i would say you know close to 60 percent um at least would be you know pretty much dedicated to that information and do you, is there any prevalence of wolf or wolf dog ownership in massachusetts in the surrounding area is that something that you guys are trying to educate individuals about that come here also how much of that are you guys sort of tapping into? Absolutely. Yeah, that is that is a big part of what we do as well. And um, so uh, we do have currently we have uh, one wolf dog hybrid on property. Her name is Gaia. And uh, she is one of two wolf dog hybrids that we've had over the course of our, you know, 30, 30 plus years. Um, sadly, we've conservatively gotten over 20,000 requests in 30 years to take wolf dog hybrids. The only time we um, consider it is if we do have a wolf that would otherwise be by itself. And that hybrid could be a uh, suitable companion for for that wolf. Uh, so that is how we got Gaia. She came um, in December of 2019 to be a companion for uh, Scully, who is uh, turning five years old. She's I don't know exactly how old she is, but we figure she's around the same age as Scully had to be separated from his brother and sister after a uh, serious fight between the boys. Um, so, but um, you know, in addition to just being a companion for Scully, uh, she's an amazing ambassador for wolf dog hybrids. And I uh, don't want me to get the wrong impression uh, that we're promoting wolf dog hybrids. We're 110% against wolf dog hybrids being owned uh, in domestic situations. Uh, just the numbers um, are pretty obvious that it's not a safe situation. The animals are usually, you know, um, in poor conditions or, you know, not at least at the very least, uh, not appropriate. I know there's some, you know, success stories out there, but they are, you know, m uh, far majority are, um, are uh, they're the far minority, I should say. Um, so, but Guy is a wonderful ambassador and when people see her and we say you know this is not an animal we want in your house and too many people do it yeah she's beautiful yeah she acts like a dog in some ways but you know these are the reasons why you don't want a wolf dog hybrid so it's great to uh, do that as well because when people see us you know getting kisses or scratching wolf's belly the last thing i want them to do is think a wolf make is a pet as well yeah that's a lot some of that is uh are the issues that we find too that people come on our tours they come to the property and there's always an individual or two that that are wondering about how to obtain and there's this wildness about an exotic animal whether it be a wolf or a tiger or a snake or whatever it may be it just seems that there's something that people feel the need to to have this connection with whatever that animal and it, a lot of times we see that relationship with wolves and and dogs is because they they come from you know dogs come from wolves and so they feel that there's this bond and there's kinship there. And there is, as you've explained through your own experiences, that people feel that there's there's a need or a yearning to have this animal close to us uh, in some way. I didn't get to, I didn't ask this yet, but how, what's, the, what's the current population, her current population? How many wolves do you guys currently have at the, at the, at the residence? And, and how many can you hold at capacity because obviously, as we know, as sanctuaries, rescues, whatever we may be, we're always getting inquiries, as you just said. So what's the what's the capacity right now for you guys? Yeah, um, our current headcount is 10. Uh, that consists of uh, nine pure wolves and Gaia as well, wolf dog hybrid. And she is, I think, around 86% wolf. Uh, the shelter that she came from did perform a DNA test. So um, I believe that was the uh, result. Uh, so as far as our setup, our main enclosure is uh, around an acre in size. And in that space, we currently have uh, our main pack, and that is that space is where all wolves at Wolf Hollow will start, um, is in the main enclosure. Uh, and currently in that space, we have uh, a brother and sister pair, uh, Kentaka and Akila, who are turning five years old on, in May, and they are the adoptive parents to three Arctic wolf pups who are just around eight and a half months old 
who are Scotty, Togo, and Vilkas. Uh, then we have um, in our auxiliary spaces, uh, we have um, Linnea and Argus uh, in one space, and then their brother Grendel in a separate, uh, and they will all turn 12 uh, this uh, coming spring. And then again, in our uh, last space is uh, Scully and Gaia. Scully is brother to Kintaka and Aquila, and Gaia his uh, wolf dog hybrid companion. I always like to ask this too, because we we have this situation come up a lot. Do the names, do you all come up with the names of the wolves? Do they come with those names? What's the, if there is any sort of name pro, naming process, because I we get this question also is, do they come with the name? And most of the time, for, at least for us, they come with the name and if it, sticks we're like yep we'll we'll deal with this but there are some that come with i think well i think ranger actually came with fido or something like that it was you know you know, <laughs> you know i mean but anyways that's you know what's the process for like for you guys with whenever that, that comes up yeah so uh and um again it's such a small part of um of you know working with these guys oh but, yeah you, know, you can see my face is lighting up just thinking about the name game uh so that's always a, a fun part so um so yeah, all kinds of ways we come up with names. Uh, for uh, Grendel, I, I personally named him after, you know, um, the antagonist in Beowulf, after reading an alternate version of that story titled Grendel. So I thought, what a great metaphor, that misunderstood monster in the woods. Um, so and, uh, so, and uh, so that's where I got Grendel. Uh, my wife named Linnea. Um, as story goes, is uh, I was doing a backpacking tour across Europe, and she came to visit me for a week while I was, um, you know, in one place for a little while. And uh, she was on a layover in Iceland and heard this, you know, really intelligent, well-spoken little girl, and just apparently overheard her name, you know, being called Linnea. So and just always stuck with her. Um, so that's probably the most random. <laughs> Let's see. Argus was named by a former volunteer uh, after the um, Greek uh, uh, mythological creature. Uh, apparently represents a watchful or protector. Uh, let's see. Um, Kintaka was named by our director of veterinary medicine, Dr. Lori Gordon. Uh, Akila and Togo were both named by our volunteer staff. So every time we get puppies, we'll um, invite the volunteers to make submissions. Then we narrow that down to about five finalists, and then they have a, a secret vote. So that's a really that's a really nice thing to offer them. And then um, Gaia did. Gaia is the only one that came named. So <laughs> Gaia came named Gaia, uh, which is you know beautiful name for her. She's uh, such a sweet, um, energetic, just bright eyed um, uh, girl. And then uh, probably the uh, funniest story is uh, how we got the name Scully for a wolf. Uh, when we got um, Scully and his uh, siblings in 2018, uh, my son's six and a half. So, of course, you're going to let your son name a wolf. Uh, and at that time, we did a lot of Lego and Playmobil, and our go-to was pirate theme. So that's how we got a wolf named Scully. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, probably the uh, most meaningful names we've ever had are also kind of the strangest. Uh, that would be uh, Weeble and Jelly. And uh, they were actually the last two wolves uh, that my dad named uh, just a couple months before he passed in the uh, in the depths of Alzheimer's. So um, we were visiting him one day in hospice and he was uh, staring me down like I was a stranger. So finally, my mom asked, uh, you know, who's that? And he's like, it's a guy. She's like, OK, well, what's his name? And he says, Weeble. So like, OK, you know, and then uh, later that visit, he was reminiscing about one of our former, quote, alpha females. You know, I know, you know, that the term alpha has its own issues. Uh, but he was, you know, reminiscing about the alpha female. We'd only ever had one at that point. So whenever we'd say her name, he would just get annoyed and shake his head. So he said, okay, well, what was her name? And he said, Jelly. So uh, my mother and I decided if we, you know, the next wolves we got, if we were to continue, we'll follow would be Weeble and Jelly. <laughs> so what what is it like family-wise for you? Because this started obviously with your 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 father and mother, and now your family's in in this in this world. What's it been like for your wife, your your son now to be indoctrinated into this situation? And how is that formulating his, his, early, his very early years and seeing what his father and, and the people around him are doing? Yeah, um, something I think about, you know, a lot is, uh, and, you know, obviously... Um, Hold, you know, in, in addition to all the other daily issues you have when you go to bed at night, it's uh, that's a big part of it too. Is you know, um, kind of that family aspect. Um, as far as uh, as far as my wife and son's involvement, uh, my wife does do um, some of the uh, bookkeeping and uh, reservations for us as well. She's um, you know, she does have a business degree and she's also a vet tech. Um, so I mean, man, if I, I couldn't have you know 
put two co a better combo together <laughs> for, for the person that would uh, be by my side here. Um, and uh, she doesn't really um, interact with the wolves on a daily basis, but she is very involved. Uh, you know, she helps with vaccinations, being a vet tech. You know, if someone's not looking, you know, she's on property. So, uh, so again, she, um, you know, uh, she she does care for these guys quite a bit and is um, uh, my go-to a lot of times. Um, for that stuff quick question before i you know bother dr Lori. Uh, as far as um uh her involvement as well or her other interests uh she uh you know she is a vet tech um and uh, at a local animal hospital or a pretty large one actually and then uh she also was involved with um animal rescue she volunteers at a um uh, dog and cat rescue nearby so she keeps herself busy you know so uh absolutely um and then as far as my son that's been um really um interesting to watch uh for a couple of reasons you know my my first concern um you know when he was you know going into kindergarten first grade um you know because the amount of what he sees you know it's not uncommon for him to walk out to get on the bus in the morning and there's a roadkill deer in the driveway <laughs> you know so my first question at parent teacher night is is my kid normal <laughs> you know so just want to make sure that you know that exposure is uh you know the, you know not sending him down any dark paths so i said you know, he's perfectly fine he's healthy he's bright he's funny so um and he's very caring um so and then my other concern was you know as he gets older is he gonna get you know bullied like i did um, so it was um, a pretty fun experience when uh, I think it was his first grade open house. And uh, I was in the classroom. He was next to me. We were talking to his teacher. And co coincidentally, about, you know, a week before a local magazine, um, you know, did a feature on us and my mother, m myself and my son and I were on the cover. So this uh, little girl is dragging her mom over to, you know, where I'm talking with the teacher and Otto. And uh, she, you know, drags her mom over. She's pointing at Otto. She's like, Mommy, that's the famous kid. So <laughs> I said, I got bullied, so uh, he can be the famous kid. Normally, I'd like shoo that. But <laughs> so, but, um, but it's been funny because it, it's only in the last couple of years, it's about 10 now, um, probably the last two or three years that I think it dawned on him that not everybody has wolves, you know, behind the house. So, so he's, uh, he's, you know, definitely, um, it's not like a woe thing. I think it's just his normalcy. So, you know, and, um, you know, as far as his aspirations, um, we, you know, people often ask me, my students, do you want your son to be an artist or, you know, do you want your son to do wolf stuff? Um, I want him to be happy. You know, and um, that's, you know, number one priority, whatever path he takes in life, who, you know, whoever he decides to be, who to be with, you know, we will support him 110 um, percent. And, you know, luckily, uh, when my dad passed, it was um, it kind of, you know, swept the rug out from everybody because, you know, we knew the Alzheimer's was coming. But, you know, we were only around for, you know, barely 10 years at that point. Uh, we weren't very well established. We were still figuring it out ourselves. Um, so I think that, you know, whatever happens in the future, we'll follow, um, you know, isn't a great place to move forward, you know, whether it's a uh, sovereign at the helm or not. That's incredible to hear. And it's, it, it's amazing that shift that happens personally, right? Where we, we look at our own experience and we wonder how it's going to affect the next generation or whether it's, you know, our, our, our volunteers, our staff, our sons and daughters and things. And, and just to see how the, the world has shifted in, in that short period of time. And that's wonderful to see. I, I, I want to get back just quickly to the to the the I guess the day the day to day because we, we we've had a couple of of other places on and what's the what's the food situation like as you were talking about your your son getting on the bus and there's a roadkill deal there what's the <laughs> how how is it that Wolf Hollow continues to feed the pack and, and do all these things is it donation based is it how are you guys handling that situation being uh being on the East Coast. The way we, um, you know, uh, you know, make everything happen is just through the incredible support of our uh, our visitors, our membership, our private donors, um, you know, uh, just our fans on social media. Um, it's you know, and that's that's an incredibly gratifying thing is just uh, you know, see what you know, see how many people connect with wolves and how much joy they bring to people, you know, uh, in so many ways. Um, so as far as uh, the food specifically uh, is um, uh, we uh, get uh, Nebraska brand shipped out about, you know, four or five times a year. We'll get 50 cases. Uh, we have a, a, a dedicated freezer room in the basement. Uh, so we'll fill the freezers uh, with that. And, you know, that is pretty much our go to. Um, and then from November till about March, uh, you know, sprinkled throughout the rest of the year, but we call November till March our roadkill deer season, uh, because we are getting, I would say on average, one to two roadkill deer dropped off uh, every week by mass environmental police, local animal control, et cetera. 
Um, so that's a great resource. Uh, you know, good use of the deer, not going to waste, uh, you know, great for the wolves, both nutrition, but also the enrichment, you know, as they get to kind of compete over who gets the best parts, et cetera. Um, and then uh, lastly, uh, I do like to mention a couple local uh, businesses slash organizations that are very good to us. Uh, in the Northeast, we have uh, the group called Trustees of Reservations, and they own and maintain many historic properties. And about four miles away, uh, there's a property called Appleton Farm, and they do have a meat share there. So when their members don't pick up their, you know, grass-fed, organic, locally raised meats, they'll throw it in the freezer. And there's also a uh, grocery store uh, in Gloucester, Mass, called Common Crow that will do the same. So the wolves here are on a fairly regular basis are getting, you know, $50 you know, organic steaks. Yeah. So they eat very well. Um, so that's the, you know, that's the majority, um, you know, both in Richmond and also, you know, other fun uh, reasons is uh, summertime. They do get, you know, some watermelon on a hot day. Uh, we did uh, see on the Voyager's Wolf Project that they um, uh, documented wolf pups uh, eating blueberries. So we introduced that a couple of years ago. So obviously that's not sustaining them, but you know, they get lots of fun stuff. Uh, we often do get the question if uh, we do give the wolves any live prey. Um, number one, that is illegal for us to do in Massachusetts. I don't know if that's similar across the country. Uh, personally, even if we were allowed to do that, I wouldn't. Uh, there's you know, nothing fun about you know, putting uh, an animal in that situation. So uh, the wolves do hunt. Uh, it's um, in their enclosure, rodents, uh, frogs from the pond. Uh, Kentaka loves to wade through the pond in the summer and catch fish. And uh, I've actually, uh, probably the most impressive things I've uh, pulled out of the wolf enclosures is in the last two years, I've pulled out uh, three deceased red-tailed hawks, and then in 2012, a fisher cat. So wow, I mean, they're you know that's that's what happens with our guys too. I mean, not not taking yeah. out hawks, but you know, scrub jays and and gophers and stuff like that. If they're, I guess they dig up in the wrong spot, you know, you got to watch out. Mm -hmm. Some of them, are, <laughs> some of them are. We actually, uh, in front of a lecture with about 120 people back about 12 years ago, um, our uh, female Nina watched a bird fly from a tree to the uh, bleachers as uh, the roofing. And uh, on its third or fourth pass, she jumped about six feet in the air and snatched it out of the sky. <laughs> so that was pretty amazing for our visitors. Too. Not amazing for the bird, but. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. That's crazy. What's the what's the future look like for you guys? Is there expansion coming? Are you sort of locked in land wise? Is there, it really seems that you've adapted and evolved, which, which is great. I mean, that's, we've seen that with, with COVID and the pandemic and how people have started to shift their, their focuses and how they've sometimes, obviously, you know, there, there have been some positive things that have come out of this. Um, obviously, you know, we all know about the negative, but what's, what are some of the things moving forward for, for Wolf Hollow that you're excited about that you guys are looking to do in terms of uh, expansion or just redirecting maybe some of the resources? Yeah, um, something that we have constantly on our minds here is, you know, what's the next step? Uh, not that we're in any rush, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, we got here over the course of 30 years, everything is a process, you know, good things take time. Um, but as to your point, uh, land-wise, we are pretty much locked in. Uh, there's, you know, really two issues that prevent us from, you know, expanding anytime soon past our five acres. Uh, that is where um, surrounded by a lot of wetlands. And then also um, abutting our property is a 30-year easement on some farmland. So I don't know if that's locked in. So, uh, but that is something that, you know, is on our, you know, future, you know, horizon is, you know, establishing a fund so that at one point we could make some, some kind of an offer uh, for that, you know. Uh, you know, the wolves have a pretty good habitat, in my opinion. Um, you know, the main enclosure is beautiful. Um, you know, the rest of the enclosures, um, you know, align with AZA recommendations for, you know, um, space uh, allowances. So, uh, but, you know, always, you know, putting the wolves first and foremost, their happiness, their comfort, you know, um, just their, their accommodations is really um, always a thing. So any way we could improve that is, um, is a definite uh, hope. Um, one thing that uh, we've really um, kind of, COVID kind of put a um, uh, the brakes on it, but going into COVID and now just kind of getting back out of it, you know, officially for the last year is um, I would like to uh, maybe try and uh, develop uh, more partnerships with uh, schools, colleges, uh, you know, again, with the amount of, you know, learning institutions in the Boston area. Um, we could be such a great resource for, you know, aspiring uh, wildlife um, uh, enthusiasts, or I should say, you know, biologists, uh, researchers, even anybody you know, wanting to work with animals and in any capacity. Uh, so that would be, um, that would be fun to explore. And, and, you know, that comes from my just my love of education in general. Uh, just to see, you know, um, in an hour span, completely change someone's mind about wolves here at Wolf Hollow or seeing that light bulb go off in one of my students' heads in the uh, in the classroom. It's, uh, you know, I've just gotten more and more passionate about education as I get older. Um, 
So I think we, uh, we th there would be a great possibility for that. Uh, we had our first uh, uh, summer intern um, this uh, summer uh, through my old school. So it was a more art related internship, but that kind of, you know, uh, gives me the, um, the, you know, a little bit of an experience and a taste of what that might look like. So we can maybe start developing that a bit more, um, you know, and really just uh, staying current, developing our message. And, uh, you know, and I think um, one of the big things that I've seen really take off in the last few years that I would like to see grow and grow, uh, grow more and more is just the ownership um, that our volunteer staff has taken on. You know, um, just, you know, five years ago, I would be doing, um, you know, a one hour uh, lecture Saturday and Sunday. If it was a busy day, we'd add a second lecture, um, you know, chores from eight in the morning till about four or five at night. Um, and, uh, so, uh, and it was hard to let go of a lot of that, you know, um, you want to make sure everything's being done, you know, to the best standard. So, uh, having a volunteer base that we trust, we know they're more than competent, um, incredibly reliable, passionate about the wolves. Um, so it's been really cool to see, um, how much letting go a little bit and letting others take on more responsibility has grown us in ways that, you know, I could never do by myself or, you know, with the small circle that we used to have. So that's great. That's wonderful to hear that you guys are again, expanding even in the, in the space that you have and that the, the mission stays the same, but you're always looking to grow. And that's, and that's wonderful to hear. Uh, two more things before we let you go, just where can people find Wolf Hollow website, uh, social media, things like that. If they want to book a tour, if they want to go and, and see these these beautiful animals, see the staff, and and meet you guys, what's the what's the best way for them to get in touch with you all? Yeah, so our website is www.wolfhollowipswich.org. And I know I sounded like a boomer saying the www. <laughs> so uh, we do have uh, Facebook and Instagram. I think you'd find either of those, um, you know, either a quick Wolf Hollow or Wolf Hollow Ipswich search. And um, actually, thanks to Vienna, we now have a TikTok. That was something I was very much uh, trying to stay away from. Uh, but she has been amazing as our social media person, our, you know, um, coordinator for um, collaborations like we are doing right now. So um, again, got to kind of let go of some of my fears and, you know, let those people that, you know, know that, know that realm best do it. So, and, you know, she's been amazing and in, in, in that, and as well as all of our staff here, um, I'm so blessed and impressed by, you know, the, the passion, the commitment, the quality of people that are involved with, uh, with what we do here. No, it's, you've, you've got some wonderful people there. And, and again, it's, it's thank, thank Vienna. You know, I've, I've thanked her through email, uh, but it's, it's great that she reached out to us and, and then we got a chance to speak with you and get to know more about Wolf Hollow and that we can help the organizations any way that we can. My last question for you, Z, is when you hear the word wolf, what is the thing that comes to your mind? Oh, man. I, um, I actually, I, I have purposely not listened to the podcast for the last week, so I, I, so it would be original. Um, and I've checked out um, you know, quite a few episodes by now, and I don't think I've heard this one yet, but I was somewhat prepared. Um, I say majesty, and I say that specifically over majestic. Um, just because of, you know, and again, um, you know, people see wolves in so many ways. Some of them are, you know, a little bit out there, but, um, you know, I, when I say majesty, it's the personal connection, what they remind us of in ourselves, uh, and also just, uh, uh, their incredible importance, you know, to have out there in the landscape, you know, so, and, you know, majestic is more rainbows and, and puffy clouds. So, so, uh, you know, trying to go a more kind of uh, grounded and, uh, you know, uh, powerful approach there, but there's this, these guys are truly amazing. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, I consider a real privilege to, uh, you know, have this life. Actually, if um, uh, one of my uh, fun story is it was going back about 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, I was probably going on and on. I, I can talk about wolves all day pretty easily. Uh, but about, you know, getting towards the end of an hour, a little boy raised his hand in the crowd. And he said, um, he said, uh, I called on him and he goes, uh, yeah, how much longer are you going to keep talking about wolves? And, uh, you know, the crowd was horrified as poor parents, you know, were shocked. And it wasn't canned. It wasn't a canned response. I wasn't prepared for that. And I just said, uh, if it means I save one wolf in the wild, I will stand here and talk till the day I die. And there was, you know, a round of applause from the, the crowd uh, and knowing, again, you know, I'm not, not wanting to shame that kid or that parent. You know, I didn't want that to sound confrontational. And I said, uh, I said, this is why I love working with middle schoolers. They're completely honest. And I'm sure he just said what a lot of you were thinking. So we wrapped it up. So uh, but again, um, it was a pretty powerful moment. And, uh, you know, and uh, it's uh, I feel blessed. So, yeah, it's beautiful what you bring to it as a, as a teacher and, and your journey and 
the, your family is is doing something wonderful out there in, in Massachusetts. And hopefully Stephen and I can make it, you know, back east at some point and visit you guys. And we, we'd love to see what it's all about. And, you know, any way that we can help, obviously, we're, we're here for you guys and we're a voice. So, Z. It'd be awesome. I'd love to show you around the area. We got, you know, beaches and some fun restaurants. And, yeah, good time. Yeah, absolutely. Can I just share one more story? Yeah, yeah, can? absolutely. Go for it. Awesome. <laughs> um so there's, uh, there's also two stories about the work we do that uh, I just want to also uh, throw in there because I think it, you know, doing this work, you know, is, you know, are the hours, the, you know, the labor, the, the tears, the blood, you know, getting covered in wolf poop. <laughs> is it worth it? Um, you know, are we having an impact? Uh, so there's uh, two stories, uh, you know, both from within the last, um, you know, few years, one uh, just from the, um, uh, the symposium a couple months ago. Uh, but, you know, quite a few years ago, um, we had a visitor. Uh, he came by himself. He was a gentleman is probably 40s or 50s. And he definitely, you know, had the hunter look, you know, and that's one of the things we're really careful. We're not bashing sustenance hunting. You know, I bring in that my dad was a deer hunter. I grew up eating that deer meat. So and very conscious of the fact that we're trying to embrace the other side, not alienate, uh, you know, alienate them. So that's really important in our conversation as well. Uh, but because he had, you know, he had the look, one of our volunteers, um, uh, she went up to him after and he said, well, what'd you think of the program, sir? And he looked at her and he said, well, I'll be completely honest from you. I'm from New Hampshire. I've gone out to the Yellowstone area. I've killed wolves in my lifetime. After coming here today and learning what I did about them, their environmental impact, their family dynamics, I think I'm going to stop doing that and tell my friends what I learned here today. And, you know, when we heard that story, we had a collective high five after because that's exactly who we need to reach. Uh, and then more recently at the symposium, uh, we had about, uh, I think, five or six volunteers out there. And uh, they were having breakfast one morning and they were talking to a um, one of the presenters who uh, uh, she had uh, studied wolves in Isle Royale and most recently, I believe, uh, Yellowstone area. Uh, so somehow they were you know, at the same breakfast table and Massachusetts came up. Uh, so she got all giddy and asked, are you guys from Wolf Hollow? And one of our volunteers replied, yes, we are. And she says, that's where I got my passion of wolves when I was a teenager in the 90s. So to know that we started that ripple effect for someone who is now presenting at the symposium is, is pretty amazing. That's incredible. That's the way to do it. I mean, it's it's all organic. It's all free flowing, and and it's once you start something, it spider webs out from that, and people are affected that you may never, you know, that you ultimately see at symposiums, and and that are big time biologists, you know, down the line. And so, yeah, then the, we'll never know the ripple effects of what we do. So it's you know, I'm hopeful that there's a lot more than those two. But yeah, oh yeah, hundred so. percent. You guys are doing great work. <laughs> Z, it's Z. It's a pleasure to to meet you finally and and to get to know you guys. And uh, we'll be in touch sooner than later. But thank you for for joining Stephen and I. It's it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. This was awesome, guys. You're a lot of fun, and uh, yeah. So uh, it was uh, great to hang out. Yeah, absolutely. Howls to you guys out there, and we'll be with you next time. Actually, the wolves are howling right now. Perfect timing. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> perfect. I heard them. That is terrific. Yeah, Way to sign off the podcast. Thanks, wolves. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Looking to support Wolf Connection or sponsor one of the wolves in our pack? Just go to wolfconnection.org, click on the Donate tab, and find out more information. <laughs>